Pardon me for a moment while I blow out the candles. They want to blow wax everywhere. <coughs> if you have your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Our text this morning is verses 25 through 32. And the title of the message this morning, as we continue our Carols of Christmas series, is Simeon's Song. That's the text that we're looking at. We're looking at Simeon's Song. And as you, uh, as you open, would you bow with me to pray? Father, as we come before you this morning, we come with... I pray that we come with hearts that are longing to hear your word. Lord, would you do a work in our lives? Father, would you open our eyes to the truth of your word? Maybe as we've never seen before. Would you open our mind to understand the truth of your word and to to really understand by your spirit the reality of Christ coming down and becoming man? God, would you help us to see why this is so significant for our lives? And God, would you lead us by the truth of your word? Oh, Father, would you inspire and encourage our lives to be drawn near to you by your spirit? And Lord, would you work powerfully in our midst? Lord, we we ask this of you and we yield ourselves to you this morning. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place, we pray. And Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Have you ever waited for something with hopeful expectation? I mean, you were very, very hopeful, almost confident in expecting that you were going to get what you had asked for. Kids, you ever you ever had that happen? I was asked by my kids this past week or maybe it was last week. Dad, did you ever want something you didn't get for Christmas? I said, oh, yeah. And no, no, I mean something really big. And so I thought for a moment and. You know, every year there was one thing that I would ask for. And when I would finish opening my presents, I would run to the back door every year without fail from the time I was in first grade to the time I was probably, I don't know, fifth grade, sixth grade. I would run to the back door hoping that I would see the very thing that I was expecting to see. I wanted a dirt bike for Christmas. I never got a dirt bike for Christmas. I never got one. But every year, without fail, I'd run to the back window, I would pull the curtains, and I would look to see if that dirt bike that I was so certain I was going to get was sitting on the back porch, and it never was. I was disappointed. I was very disappointed. But, you know, this hopeful expectation that I had as a kid really wasn't realistic. But what I want us to see, what I hope that we see this morning is the hopeful expectation that we approach Scripture with and that we approach Christ with is one that we can be certain about. 
It is one that we can have confidence in, that Jesus Christ has come and that he will come again. He will return. And so this morning's text is the fourth and final song that Luke gives us in the infancy narrative. Through our four-week journey of Advent, we've heard Mary's magnificent song called the Magnificat. We've, we've heard Zechariah's song of blessing. We've heard the angel's glorious song to God in the highest. And so today we hear Simeon's song of praise and blessing to God. His song is one where his faith has been realized for what he's been anticipating and he has long expected the arrival of Christ. Read with me in verse 25. You found your place. Luke 2, 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon has received that which his faith has been pointing to. He has seen with his own eyes the infant child. This morning, here's what I want us to see through the text and through Simeon's example. I want Crosspoint to be full of faithful believers who live for Christ and respond to the Holy Spirit's direction in every activity of our lives. I think this is what we see going on in Simeon's life at this particular juncture in his life. And that's the challenge and the encouragement that I want us to see as we approach this text this morning. And so first we see that Simeon's daily activity demonstrates a life of faithfulness to God. Simeon's life reflects a deep trust in God's word as he waited on God and served God daily. And I want us to see and to recognize that the way we live testifies to the God or testifies of the God we serve. We see this evidenced in Simeon's life. In verse 25, it says that Simeon was was a righteous and devout man. In God's sight, this meant that he was one whose faith made him acceptable to God. He was a devout man, meaning that he feared or he revered Yahweh. He was careful about his religious duties. He He was careful about his service to God. We see similar characteristics in the other characters of the Christ narrative. We see it in Zechariah and Elizabeth. In Luke 1 6, Zechariah and Elizabeth, it says they were both righteous before the Lord, or before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. We see in Luke 138, 
Simeon was righteous and devout. Or, I'm sorry, we see in Luke 138 that Mary, Mary saw herself as a servant of the Lord. And she responded to the angel Gabriel when he gave God's word to her. She responded with this, let it be according to your word for your servant. I want to challenge us that likewise, Scripture calls all who profess faith in Christ to guard our lives and conduct as well. First, Peter one, 15 and 16, Peter writes, but as he who called you is holy, so be holy yourselves in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And of course, Peter was quoting from Leviticus 16. You see, the call to holiness is matched by an exhortation to endurance and strength because we have one who has endured on our behalf, namely the Christ child that came in the manger, Jesus Christ. As Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And listen, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So listen, consider him. Consider this one. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, believer. Here's the encouragement from God's word. Walk in holiness and then consider him. Run with endurance. Lay aside everything that would encumber us. Every sin that would hinder us from walking with him. Lay it aside and then consider him. And as you consider him, consider him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Simeon was filled with expectancy. And he lived his life righteously and devoutly. Because he longed for God's salvation. You see, the way we live gives testimony to the God that we serve. The way we live gives testimony to our gracious Lord and the transformation that he has worked and is continuing to work in our lives. So let us look unto Christ with great expectancy for the strengthening and for the endurance that we need so that we don't grow weary or don't grow faint hearted as we live out the gospel before an ever watching world. Right. In the midst of our classroom in the midst of day-to-day life, in our neighborhood, in the community, in the workplace, as we live out the gospel, we're living out faithfully so that we bring glory to God, drawing all eyes unto Christ Jesus. Secondly, I want you to see, we see that the, the way we live testifies of the God we serve. We see this through Simeon's life. He was righteous and devout. But we also must see that we, we must not be doubters. We see this in verse 26. Simeon believed God's word and he didn't doubt God's word to him. This righteous and devout man, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. We see that in verse 25. 
And this was according to the prophecy of Isaiah, the servant of the Lord, the Messiah that Isaiah prophesied about. And so here's the man, righteous and devout, trusting in God's word, trusting in the prophecy of Scripture and waiting for its fulfillment. Isaiah 41, Isaiah writes, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And Isaiah 66, 13, speaking of the Christ who would come as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Simeon was waiting on the one to come who would be the comforter of his people Israel. Verse 26 tells us that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's God's promised Messiah. But Simeon was getting old. His days were numbered and he he knew that his days were numbered. But get this, even in his old age, he was holding out hope, expecting to see the Messiah's arrival. He didn't know when. He didn't know how, but he believed. Each day as he awakened, I I wonder if his thoughts were, Oh God, is, is today the day? Will I see your salvation come today? The challenge I would give us is, oh, that we would. Oh, that we would live with such expectation in our own lives. Lord, is today the day? Is today the day that you're going to do these great things? Is today the day that you're going to work in our midst and, and answer this prayer? I've been praying for for weeks, for months, for years. Oh, Lord, is today the day that you're going to return and come back and take us all to be at home with you? You know, too often we get caught up in our daily activities so that our affections for Christ grow weak. And I think this is often because we're we're not mindful of walking with Christ in all things at all times, being led by the Spirit. I think too often we get so caught up in our daily activities that our affections, even for Christ's return, grow weak. First Thessalonians 4.15 is a text that we hear oftentimes at funerals, but perhaps we don't hear it enough in the context of our, of our gatherings and worship services. First Thessalonians 4.15 says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Listen, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Here is the promise and the certainty of Christ's return. And church, this is one of the reasons that we gather to worship him, not only because of the salvation that he has graciously given us, but we worship him because of the work that he has done in our lives and the promise that he is going to return. He is coming back to call us to be with him in eternity. This is the hope of Christ's salvation. And so, brothers and sisters, let me exhort you to the longing that the apostles Paul and John expressed in their writings, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, he uses this word, Maranatha, which means, come, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, 
come. And, and, and in Revelation 22.20, the Apostle John replies to Jesus' promise when Jesus says, I am coming again, I will return soon. You know what John said? He said, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Right? This ought to be our perspective, brothers and sisters. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Listen, let us not be doubters. Let us hear the word of caution from, from James when he says that we're not to be like the waves of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Instead, let us believe upon God's word. Let us watch with longing and expectation like Simeon. Let us ask God to do mighty works in us and through us for his glory and for the life of the world. Church, let's let our prayers before God be heard. Let's ask, let's ask God to do some incredible things through Crosspoint so that he gets the glory and so the things are done in such a way that we can't claim the glory. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus came to redeem mankind? If we truly believe this, why do we cower back from sharing the hope of Christ with those who don't know him? Brothers and sisters, let us not be doubters. Let us believe like Simeon believed. Let us have this hopeful expectation that Christ is coming again and that he came and he came to redeem mankind. He came to forgive us of our sin for the wretches that we are to accomplish on our behalf what we could not accomplish. Listen, he walked by the spirit. Look at verses 27 and 28. I want you to see this. When we walk by the Spirit, this is what Simeon evidences to us and testifies to us. When we walk by the Spirit, we're content to operate on God's timeline. Right? Because this means we're trusting in, the, we're trusting in His sovereignty. We're following His lead. He is guiding us. He's directing us. A few months back, Pastor George from Bugari sent me a, a message asking for help with Bibles for witnessing. He was having an upcoming conference, a youth conference, which, by the way, he sent me, he sent me pictures of the youth conference, and he said they had, uh, they had 800 youth that came for their youth conference. He was blown away at the attendance. And church, this is just continuing uh, to, to give evidence and testimony to the work that Crosspoint has done in the midst of a, another congregation on the other side of the globe. This is how God is working in the midst of his global economy and his global church. So anyway, Pastor George called or sent me a message through Facebook and said that he needed 200 Bibles. I said, how much is 200? How much is a Bible? He said, five dollars a piece. I said, Pastor George, that's that's a lot of money. And he said, I know. And um, I chewed on it for a while, for a few months and uh, just didn't have a piece about bringing that need before the congregation at this time. We had been helping Pastor, uh, Pastor Ronald and Busimbatia. We, uh, we had been pooling our resources together uh, in order to work to, uh, to start uh, in the, the capital campaign for, uh, for our new facility. And so there were several things that were happening that were on our plates in the midst of, uh, of some, some giving, some mission 
uh, giving that we had been doing through the state missions offering. And I just didn't have a piece about bringing it before the congregation, but I, I want you to know before, before I left to go to Uganda, an anonymous person came to me with a check for the exact amount that was needed for Pastor George because the Lord had made that need known to that individual. Before I ever said anything about how much was needed, the amount was already made known to that individual. My words were simply a confirmation for this person. I share that anonymously, but share it to testify of this reality, that God's timing and His provision are perfect for His people. God's responsible for Simeon going to the temple. God choreographs the moment perfectly. Look in verse 27. He came in the spirit into the temple. Here's when. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law on the eighth day. And so here's Simeon, the man that's been waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled on the eighth day, being led by the spirit to go into the temple. And when he gets into the temple, you know what happens? He sees these parents with this baby named Jesus. And immediately, he knows because the Spirit impresses it upon him. Verse 28 says, He took up, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Could you imagine? Simeon held our Maker in his arms in that moment. What joy was his. This is the pinnacle of redemption history. God has come in the form of man to redeem his creation. And I want you to see that Simeon's, Simeon's faith challenges our faith. And I hope, you, I hope you feel this challenge this morning and sense this challenge. He believed God's promise without knowing how God would ultimately fulfill his promise of salvation. He was waiting on the consolation of Israel. He was filled with expectancy as he awaited Christ's arrival. And when he saw the infant there and held him in his arms, he knew. He knew God had visited. He knew this was the one. The Spirit confirmed it in his heart and in his mind. And I want you to know, church, if we're to see and to know God's work in the world, hear this. If we're to see and to know God's work in the world, we must walk by the Spirit. There is no substitute for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of His believers. There is no substitute. You cannot live the Christian life in your own strength and walk in the joy and the blessing of, of God's presence. Only the Holy Spirit can give us eyes to see and to follow God's leading. We want to ask you this morning, is this our response to God's work in our lives? God has taken the initiative to come to us. The one who was offended came to the offender to reconcile us to God. Here's the thing. He involves himself in the details of our lives. Are you aware of God's work in your life, believer? How's your prayer life? Are you asking God to use you in a tremendous way? Are you asking God to use you in any way? Are you walking by the Spirit, believer? 
Are you putting to death the things of the flesh so that you pursue and set your mind upon the things above where Christ is? There's no substitute in a believer's life for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Not only does Simeon's daily activity demonstrate a life of faithfulness to God. I want you to see that Simeon's walk of faith motivated his response of praise. His walk of faith was the motivation for him responding in the way that he does there in verse 28 when he holds Jesus, the baby, in his arms. Simeon's response to God's salvation is to praise God. It's to bless God. Is that our response today? Is that your response as you've gathered with the church to worship God? Is it to praise Him, to bless Him? The joy of redemption grants us true peace. I think we see this in verses 29 and 30 through Simeon's life. The joy of redemption grants us true peace. In verse 29, Simeon is like a watchman on his post. Look at what he says there. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. In other words, Lord, after all this time, after all these days, after all this watching, now, at this moment, you are now letting me depart in peace. After all my life, all my eyes have seen, I can now go in peace. He's been like a watchman on the wall waiting waiting with hopeful expectation for the arrival of this child of Christ. And Luke uses an unusual word here for the word Lord. He uses the word despot, which means master. We know this word in English. It's a transliteration in English. Simeon sees himself as a slave of God, as a servant of God, one who's waiting to carry out the order of his master. I think this is instructive for our lives that we, too, would see ourselves as servants of God waiting to carry out his directives, his mission. Of course, church, we know what that mission is. Generally speaking, we we know what that mission is for his church, for his people, that we are to make disciples of all nations. Right. We're to take the gospel and to share it and to spread it and to proclaim it and to invest it in others. For Simeon, beholding the Christ child brought profound peace to his soul. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where the prophet Isaiah speaks, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a child is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, right? Prince of peace. I want you to know this was the case for Simeon and this is the case for all who behold the Christ child this Christmas. With so much unrest occurring in our world today, the knowledge and the presence of Christ will bring tremendous peace into the lives of all who confess Christ as Lord and surrender their lives to live for him and to live in submission to Christ as Lord. It's not enough. Hear me out. It's not enough just to make the profession or the confession that Jesus is Lord. We must also live our lives in accordance with the very things we espouse. That's the significance of the way we live testifies of the God we serve. That's why Simeon was a righteous and devout man. 
Because he had faith in God who was faithful. He knew that God was bringing his word to fruition, to come to pass. He knew that he was going to accomplish his word to his servant. Because God always accomplishes his word. It's one of the many reasons the hope of Christmas celebrates more than the Christ child in the manger. It encourages our hearts to be filled with eager anticipation as we await Christ's glorious return. It fuels our mission to live transformed, evangelistic, holy lives. Transformed because when Christ, when we encounter Christ and he, he indwells us, He changes our character and our nature. He does this work in our lives to do, to do this amazing thing that we become different, changed. We're born anew, Paul says in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. John 3, also evangelistic, because when God does this work in our lives, we want to tell others about this change that has been birthed in our lives. But then holy as well, as we said from 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, God says, be holy because I am holy. He calls us to live in submission and in obedience to his word. In verse 30, Simeon's song tells us the purpose of the Christ child coming. Simeon experiences the culmination of his life lived, devoted to God, when he sees. In this statement in verse 30 where he sees, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. By faith he believes this child that he's holding is God's work of salvation. And he trusts And here's the thing, the joy of this promised redemption brings peace for Simeon. So much that now his life's longing has been achieved and he can say, I'm ready. Lord, I'm ready to come home. I'm ready to be with you. Because Simeon's saying that this Christ child is salvation to mankind. We see echoes of God's salvation again from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And we see it in Isaiah 52, 10. The Lord has barred his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Here is the fulfillment of God's prophetic word. Happening, occurring. You see, the joy of redemption has granted Simeon peace so that now he's ready to go home to be with God. He says, now I can depart in peace. This is the security that salvation through Jesus Christ offers God's people. Simeon has seen God's salvation and because of that, he rejoices. Let me ask you this morning, are you able to rejoice Because of the salvation that Jesus Christ brings into your life. Do you know this salvation that comes through Jesus Christ? Verses 31 and 32 celebrate this salvation. Simeon celebrates God's salvation because it's prepared for all people. Hear this. Not just for Israel, but for all people. Verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all 
peoples. This points us to God's design of and providential direction of salvation history. God is in control and He's orchestrating it all for His glory at the right time, at the specific moment in history. And the light of salvation is revealed. Get this in verse 32. The light of salvation is revealed to Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That's all mankind. That's every one of us. Christ has become the light of revelation for all mankind. Not just for Israel, but now for all peoples, for every nation. Jesus has shown the way to God. And that way to God is through Him. For He has come to redeem mankind, as Isaiah said in Isaiah 61. Write that verse down and go and look at it later. We're going to skip over it now. But he speaks about the light coming to shine in the midst of the darkness. You see, God has made a way for all people to know him. And this is a profound mystery that's been made known to us. Christ's salvation. Peter writes of it in 1 Peter 1.10. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and they inquired carefully. In other words, they looked, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was was pointing them forward, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And then he goes on to say, these things are things which the angels even long to look into. This profound mystery of Christ's coming. It is a wonderful mystery of God's salvation. God the Son stepping down into mankind in order to bring salvation. And by God's grace, we're recipients of an eternal covenant through Christ's birth. This is praiseworthy. This is the reason that we can give praise to God, all praise to Him. But not only was Jesus the light of salvation revealed to the Gentiles through Jesus, I want you to see that the light of salvation is seen as the glory of Israel. That's what he says there at the end of verse 32. And the reason the light of salvation is the glory of Israel is because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. He is true Israel. Jesus removes all ethnic barriers to salvation by becoming the one true way for salvation for all mankind. God is acting for His people, Israel. But He's also acting for the world. The light of salvation has dawned. And it's shown in the darkness to reveal Jesus as Messiah. And I want you to know that in an age of increasing relativism, we must proclaim the gospel of Christ for all mankind. On December 10th, the Jerusalem Post ran a cover story that read, Catholics should not try to convert Jews. Vatican says in landmark document, a document released under papal authority said, Catholics should not try to convert Jews and should work with them to fight anti-Semitism. The document, a reflection on theological questions pertaining to Catholic-Jewish relations, was issued by the Pontifical Commission for Religious Relations with the Jews. And it was approved by Pope Francis. It says Christianity and Judaism are intertwined and that God never annulled his covenant with the Jewish people. 
The church is therefore, it says, obliged to view the evangelization to Jews who believe in the one God in a different manner from that, uh, from that to people of other religions and worldviews. It said, in concrete terms, this means that the Catholic Church neither conducts nor supports any specific institutional mission work directed toward Jews. And then it added that principled rejection of an institutional Jewish mission was what it was stating. I want you to see the contrast between this declaration and what Luke is telling us in his gospel, in this narrative, in this song from Simeon. Contrary to what was just announced two weeks ago on December 10th, unfortunately, what was announced Christ came to die for all people, not just the Gentiles, but for Jews as well, for Israel. And hear me out, church, there is one way to get to heaven. And that one way is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's for this reason that Muslims do not worship the same God that Christians worship. It's for this reason that Israel must come through the promised Messiah that Simeon, the devout and righteous man, sees and by faith believes in. It's for this reason that all people must bow the knee to Christ in order to gain salvation and to have salvation, to enter into God's presence. Jesus was speaking with the religious leaders of Israel in John chapter 8, verse 19. And they said to him, Why is your father, uh, where is your father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father, you would know my father also. And then he goes on in verses 39 through 59 in John chapter 8 to explicitly deny that salvation comes merely by being one of Abraham's children. He told the Jewish leaders who rejected him that their rejection proved they were not sons of Abraham and they did not truly know God. Such is the case for everyone who denies the coming of the Christ child in the manger. Knowing God is predicated on knowing and believing upon Jesus Christ. So here's the gospel. Christ came into the world to redeem mankind from sin. He did this by being born as an infant, living a sinless life. He then offered himself as a spotless lamb on a cross to die a sinner's death so that he might pay for our sins by dying in our place. After his death, he was placed in a tomb where on the third day he powerfully resurrected and walked out of the tomb, conquering death and granting life to all who believe in him. The story of Christ in the manger that we celebrate on December 25th isn't a fairy tale. It's a powerful reality of God's redemption history coming to place and happening for mankind. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you know the peace of Christ this Christmas that only comes through Jesus Christ? Do you have security of salvation that through Jesus Christ alone you gain entrance into eternity? Believer, 
Are you able to praise God this morning for his gracious work of salvation in your life? Are you living with expectancy for Christ's return, looking forward to his return, living with expectancy for the work that you're asking him to do in your midst and through you and in you? I want to challenge you this morning to search your heart, to ask God to work in you, to reveal how he desires to work in your life to you. And this morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, and you do not have the peace that comes from knowing him, I want to invite you this morning to believe upon him, to receive the peace that only Christ can give, that which is necessary for entering heaven, eternal life. You pray with me this morning. And if that's what God's doing in your life, you surrender your life to Christ, repent of your sin, and cry out to him for salvation. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that in the midst of the extended time we've spent this morning, that you would clarify the truth of your word in the hearts and minds of your people. I pray, God, that you would, you would work powerfully in our midst, and oh God, that you would turn our hearts to you. I pray, God, if there's anyone struggling with surrendering, surrendering their life to you and knowing the peace of Christ, that you would break through the barriers they have built up. I pray, God, that you would shatter those, those barriers they have erected, and Lord, that you would help them to come humbly before you. And God, for us, for believers, would you give us endurance? Would you give us strength? Lord, would you... Would you teach us to walk by your spirit so that we know the joy and the peace of Christ this Christmas? For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning?